0: Well, we're in James chapter 3 this morning. And last week, we went through really the hardest section of James to study. The part that talks about faith and works. And, And last week, we learned that true faith truly works. That they're put together. That it's not that you can have just faith or just works. But someone who has a true faith, a true understanding of who Jesus is, a person who has a real relationship with God gets changed as they know God. And out of that, we begin to work and we begin to do things that God has put um, out there for us to do. We learned that, that our actions should reflect the faith that we have. You might have heard before that little phrase, that little idiom that says, actions speak louder than words, right? Well, that may be true, but, as we're going to see today, um, we're going to put it in, in the, the Mark Twain had a little twist on that saying, and Mark Twain said this, he said, actions speak louder than words, but not nearly as often. So last week we did talk about your works and what you do and how important your actions are, but today we're going to lean into the fact that also your words matter though too. Actions might speak louder than words, but not nearly as often, because we we have a lot of words, right? And so continuing his thought on, uh, on cr- practical Christian living, James is now going to turn to how we talk, specifically how we talk to other people. Not just the way you talk to yourself when you're in the car or it, alone, but how you talk to other people. So let me start us off with this this morning. Have you ever said something that you wish you didn't say? You ever let something slip out that you're like, that was better as internal dialogue? <laughs> have you ever said things maybe in a, a, a rage or or something that you just thought, oh, this will be funny, and it wasn't so funny? Something that just got out that that you wish you could take back? Well, most of us have. Most of us have have said something that we wish we didn't say. Sometimes those words are embarrassing. Right? Sorry to bring those thoughts back to your mind. Some of them are (laughs) embarrassing. Other times, they hurt people. A lot of times, it's the people that we love. Because for whatever reason, many times, the the lowest filter level, filter setting that we have on the things that we say are to the people we love the most. It's weird, but it's true. And other times, those words that we don't mean to say, that we say, get us involved in things that we'd just rather never get involved in. Right, It takes something that happens, and you said it, and therefore, now you have to go down this path and follow out whatever was said. So we learn pretty quickly in life that the words that come out of our mouths matter. And as we're going to see here today, not, not just to the people around us do they matter, but they also matter to God. What we say, what we speak, the words we use matter to God. And today, James is going to encourage us to think about the power of our words, but also give us a vision to use our words well. All right? And he begins by addressing the leaders of the church, reminding them to mind their mouths. And he gives them the reason why to watch what it is that they say. All right, so let's begin here and just read the very first verse. James chapter three, verse one says this. Not many of you, should become teachers, my brothers. For you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Now, he's, he's not just talking to anybody who's got a job as a teacher in, in a school district or uh, something like that, right? He's specifically talking to teachers in the church. That is, those who teach other people how to follow the Lord. In the Jewish tradition, Those teachers were called rabbis. All right, you might have heard that in the Jewish faith today. They still refer to their uh, leader teachers as rabbis. Okay, Um, we in in a church like ours would call those people pastors or teachers. Um, But in the Jewish tradition, they were called rabbis. And as a pastor, that's what I am, as a pastor, my job includes teaching teaching uh, how to live a Christian life, but also teaching the Bible, this book that we're studying right now, okay? And it is my job to study it, to meditate on it, and then strive to be faithful to it as I present it to you. But that also involves a lot of words, right? Uh, For those of you who don't know me all that well, uh, but still come to church here on a regular basis, When you think about me, you just think about he's the guy who gets up there and talks a lot, (laughs) right? So you're thinking about that because that's the way it is. It involves a lot of words. And I spend a lot of time talking as I endeavor to teach the Bible. But what James tells us is, he says, watch out. Not a lot of you want to be in this role because you're gonna be judged with a stricter judgment, okay? And there's two levels of judgment for the person that stands up here up front. Two levels. The first level is you're being judged by everyone who's listening. Pressure's on me, right? Um, Everyone who's listening is judging what I say and how I say it. So it would make sense that there's a heavy level of judgment. For those of you who've been a part of this church for a long time, um, you know all the words that I regularly mispronounce. You know the little phrases that I use or overuse. You, you know how I do those, the things that I do. You know my speaking cadence and my overuse of hand gestures. right? I've learned that about myself. The little few times that I've seen a video, I'm like, wow, I really talk a lot with my hands all the time. Just put them in your pocket. Just... Right? But that's just, now you're going to be paying attention all the rest of the day. Oh, well, that, I'm getting judged. That's what happens. That's what happens when you stand here. Okay? Uh, but that's just how I say it. Okay? You judge that part of how I say it, but you also should be judging what I say. I mean, it's, it's kind of weird to say that uh, for many of us, but it's true. You should. You should be judging what I say. If you're a Christian— the Holy Spirit dwells in you and is teaching you and guiding you. And you, as a Christian, should be spending time reading this book on your own. And you're thinking about it and letting it come into you. And you're ingesting it. And so you understand what's being said in this word. I'm not the, the absolute authority on the Bible. God is. And the Spirit of God dwells in you. So you should be judging what I say. And with that discernment, you're processing the things that I teach. Even if you're not a Christian here today, if you're not a Christian, you're using your own discernment to judge whether the things that I say or am saying could be true. That's why a non-Christian usually would come to church. They would come to a Christian church and say, what is it that these Christians believe? And then they're going to say, all right, well, this is the message of the church. Do I believe it? Is it true? Is it not True. That's, that's okay. But that alone, just those things that we talked about right there, that is a stricter judgment than most of you had to handle this morning <laughs> uh, before you came to church, right? You didn't have 60 of your favorite friends come in and paying attention to everything. You, what, did you, what did you say at breakfast? What, is that what you meant when you said that, right? So there's stricter judgment. But if that's not intimidating enough, the second level of judgment that you find when you stand in this role is the fact that God is also judging what the teacher in the church is saying. That's the one that scares me the most, to tell you the truth. (laughs) That's a big deal. The standard is high to well represent God and his word. And it should be. And God holds his workers accountable. And so with those things in mind, James says, hey look, I understand that many of you have walked the Lord a long time, you've got a lot of of knowledge about the Bible, and you think it might be fun to stand up there and tell other people about it and teach. He says, okay, but be aware there's a stricter judgment for the people that stand in that place. And be uh, full of that knowledge before you step into that role. You know, um, there's a there's a, a story in the Bible that I think illustrates this pretty well. About the fact that God holds his leaders in, in a stricter level of judgment. When you go all the way back to uh, the, the Old Testament and you look at the life of Moses. There's a particular story about Moses that I think really describes this, this well. And it's, it's found actually in Numbers chapter 20. I'm not going to have you turn there today. But if you remember who Moses is in the Old Testament, and he's one of the characters, even if you don't know the, the Old Testament very well, Moses is one of those characters you need to get to know. All right, because a big chunk of the Old Testament deals with Moses and what Moses did. Moses was the one who was plucked out of the River Nile... In a basket as a baby, because he was a a child of the Israelites, um, and in a, a, a time period where Pharaoh had said, "Hey, we're going to kill all of the babies." of the the Israelites they're growing the population they were to slave labor at the time they're like the population's getting too big we don't want any more of them we're going to kill these babies well as you can imagine the mothers didn't want to do that Moses was one of these babies that was protected his mother uh, put Moses in a basket and floated him in the Nile River so that when the authorities would come through they wouldn't find a baby in the house well, as it turns out, Moses gets plucked out of there by Pharaoh's daughter, raised in the household of Pharaoh, if you remember this. And then, ultimately, he has to, to leave Egypt, where he had been raised, in the house of the Pharaoh, because when he became an adult, he took it upon himself to step up for his Israelite brethren and ended up killing an Egyptian, committing murder. So, I, I, you know, as that would happen, uh, that, that, wasn't, that was frowned upon in the, in the kingdom. And so he fled, he left Egypt, went out and thought, okay, I gotta start over at life. All right, Moses is also the one that God spoke to in the burning bush and came and said, Moses, you're going back to Egypt because I'm going to use you as the person that goes to Egypt and and frees the Israelites from slavery. And you are going to lead them into this land that I have for them, the promised land. That's the Moses that we're talking about. So Moses goes through this whole process, the 10 plagues of Egypt. This is all Moses, right? And then as Moses now takes this million people out of Egypt and they're traveling through the wilderness, they come to a spot in the wilderness where there is no water. And they have people and livestock everywhere and there's no water to drink. And if you know much about the human body, you realize you can't go very long without water. And so the people who already have a tendency of grumbling and complaining, they're grumbling and complaining and they come to Moses and they're like, Moses, what are we going to do here? All right. Now, this isn't the first time this has happened, by the way. And in fact, we'll we'll actually look at another story earlier where God has to provide supernaturally for the people with water. And, And Moses comes to God as he should and says, God, we're in this place again. We don't have any water I'm frustrated with these people. I'm sick of their grumbling. I'm sick of their complaining. What is it that I'm supposed to do? And God calmly says to Moses, I want you to go and I want you to speak to this rock in front of the people and I'm going to provide supernaturally water out of a rock. So Moses comes back to the people, but he's fired up over this grumbling and over this complaining. He's sick and tired of this. And he does what God says. But instead of only speaking to the rock, he also takes his staff and he hits the rock to show the people, I'm not real happy with you. I'm tired of your complaining, but here, God's gonna give you water. He hits the rock, water comes out, the people drink, everything seems to be okay. But this is my point in this story. What happens next is this is Moses, the guy who's been faithful and leading the people. But God then has to have a little meeting with Moses and says, hey, Moses, come over here. We've got to talk. I told you to speak to the rock. You did speak to the rock, but I didn't tell you to hit the rock. I didn't tell you to get all fired up and angry. And because of that, you misrepresented me to the people. That's a problem, Moses. That's not a good thing. And because of that, you aren't going to enter into the promised land with the rest of the people. Now that seems like a pretty strict judgment. He's the one who's done all this stuff for God. But you have to understand the people that are leading God's people have, there's a stricter judgment involved for them, okay? So pastors though, you you might think, all right, well then just don't become a pastor and everything's gonna be okay. It might be true, But pastors aren't the only ones who have to be careful in minding their mouths. Okay, and that's where James goes next. Look at verse 2. Here's what he says. He says, in James 3, 2, he says, For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses... So that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they're guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. So James gives us here two examples from life, to describe the impact of words on our lives. And what he's essentially saying here is, if you can keep your mouth in control, you're practically perfect. Because of how difficult it is to actually control the things you say. I mean, at the the beginning of the message, I asked you, how many of you have ever said anything that you wish you hadn't said? (laughs) Right? They kind of got away from you. You lost control with your words. That's his point. His point is, hey, if you can actually control the things you say, you're a long way down the path of learning to be able to control everything that you have with your body. It's, it's an important thing. But we all know, as experience has shown us, it's easier said than done. I came across a meme of Kermit the Frog. Thank you very much for you guys that describes this. It's hard to see at the top. But it says, some things are better left unsaid which I generally realize right after I have said them. <laughs> right? Does that ever happen to you? Where you're like, yes, I know. Some things just shouldn't be said. Ah, and that was one of those things. It's, it's too late. But often, once we say something, it shifts the rest of our bodies. It sets us on a new path. Sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's bad. You know, the, the words I spoke to my, my wife 21 years ago, I do at our wedding day. That put my life on a whole new trajectory, right? We're not going to go to the horse and the bit and all those kinds of things, and we're not going to talk about that story right now. Um, But the way a horse is led by a tiny bit or a huge ship steered by a little rudder, so also, he says, your tongue can play a big part in the way that it can steer your lives, sometimes for the good. That's my marriage, okay? But sometimes not for the good. And he says you have to be aware of that and realize that such a small thing can make a huge impact. All right? And his next example describes that even um, in in a different way. And it's something that we in Southern California can relate to very easily. He says, How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. In, In 2003, a hunter got lost just south of Ramona here in San Diego County. And he started what he thought was going to be a, a small signal fire for the rescuers to be able to find him. Okay, he's, he's out in the wilderness. He couldn't find which way is what. He's like, all right, I'm just going to start a little fire and the smoke hopefully will, will notify the people that are going to be looking for me soon to be able to help find me and get me back to civilization. But after quickly getting out of control the Cedar Fire was ignited. And this Cedar Fire, here's a picture of it here. Um, this, this Cedar Fire, this 2003, ultimately killed 15 people. It burned over 273,000 acres, destroying over 2,800 buildings and costing roughly $1.33 billion in losses. That's a picture actually of just uh, Rancho San Diego, just right off the 15. The flames were that, that close. I mean, I, I remember where we lived uh, down on Olympic Parkway. Um, at the time, our, our car was covered in ash, just blowing over from this. You could come out just out, about out here and look onto the hills and see flames. A small fire, small fire can be a really big deal. That's his point. And and go on now in James chapter 3 and see where he's going with this. In in chapter 3 verse 6 he says, And the tongue is a fire. The tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body. Setting on fire the entire course of life. And set on fire by hell. Ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? The answer is no. Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives? No. Or a grapevine produce figs? No. Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Words matter. Words are powerful. And his point is, if we're not careful with our words, we can cause major destruction with them. Proverbs 18.21 says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. You know, um, you may have heard this as a little kid growing up. Who knows where it originally came from, but this little phrase Sticks and stones can break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Not true. (laughs) Right? Some of the things that people have said about me or said to me, I really would have rather they just threw a rock (laughs) or just took a stick to me. It wouldn't have hurt quite as bad, or at least I would have healed up quicker. Right? Words have power. And with that, our words can carry with them, he says, they can carry with them the power of hell. Words can bring blessing or cursing. We can heal or we can poison. So here's the question as we start thinking about this and bringing this into our own lives. How is it that you use your words? Think about it. How do you use your words? Parents. Parents. How do you talk to your kids? For the married folks among us, how do you talk to your spouses? How do you talk to your siblings? Or the friends you've known for a long time? You know, I I grew up teasing the people I loved. Okay, it was just one of the things I did. You, You tease the people you love. But even when we mean well with teasing... It's not really the highest form of love. And I've learned that some people especially just don't like to be teased. Like it doesn't mean matter how well-meaning you are. They just don't ever want to be, ever for any purpose. They don't like teasing. It does not feel like love to them. All right. We don't have any accounts of Jesus teasing his followers. (laughs) But we have plenty of examples of him encouraging them and blessing them. Everywhere Jesus went, he was sharing his words in ways that built people up. That brought people to repentance and health and life. Yes, there were times where Jesus had to say hard things and critical things. But as far as using his words, he was even using his words in loving correction when he used those words. What about sarcasm? That's another good one. Right? I was also very sarcastic Was, is, was, I think. You know where the word sarcasm even comes from? If you go back to the the Greek, it's sarx is the word for flesh. Sarcasm literally means tearing flesh. They're, They're words that are cutting remarks. They're tearing into people. Now, usually sarcasm is a lot of times used just for humor. Like we use it just to be funny, being sarcastic. But understand that there's still, there's a tearing involved with sarcasm. The words that are used, they're they're words that are used to hurt, even if it's only a little bit. Or how about just cynicism? Some people are just naturally cynical. And and they kind of see the bad part of everything all the time. And they announce it. They want to tell you about it, right? But these words tear down. These words matter. Now, here's the thing. We're complicated beings as humans. We like to think that we're all very rational and that we're all very calculated in the things that we say. But the truth is, we're actually very emotional and we're, we're very affected by our feelings and our perceptions of things. And that's why most of us can be honest here today and say, yeah, I've said some things I wish I hadn't said. Was it because you thought about it? And you said, I think this is the best phrase to use. No. It's because you felt like saying that and you said it. And it just kind of gushed out of you. That's the way it is. And, and emotions and feelings and perceptions, those things aren't tame. That's what James says here. He says, that's why we can't tame our tongues all the time. It's because it's, it's part of our feeling. It's part of what just courses through us. And sometimes those things that aren't tame, they're wild. They break out. But he gives us a kind of a a frustrating uh, passage here because he tells us no human being can tame the tongue. But then at the same time, he says, and these things ought not to be so. So what is it the Bible is trying to tell you here? He just tells you, look, you've got the the, the power of hell in your mouth with the words that you use, but it's not supposed to be that way. So what are we supposed to do with it? What is he guiding us to? Where is the practical faith? This whole study through James, I've told you, is very practical. We're learning practical faith. It, with the practical faith, then, what then are we supposed to do? All right? You might agree with James here and say, yes, I understand. My words shouldn't be functioning this way. I shouldn't be saying those things to my kids. I shouldn't talk that way to my husband or to my wife or to the, my best friend. I shouldn't always be the cynical one. I shouldn't always be sarcastic. What am I supposed to do? Well, gratefully, the Bible gives us the answer as well. Okay? And Jesus answers that question while he was teaching the teachers, the Pharisees. In Matthew 12, I'll just read it to you here. It'll be on the screen for you. Matthew 12, verse 33 to 37. Jesus says this. He says, either make the tree good I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Jesus pointed to our hearts as the source of our words. He says, all that that comes out of you, it, it It points, it reveals, it shows your heart. It shows what's going on in your heart. And if we want our words to change, our hearts have to change. You get that? If we want our words to change, our hearts have to change. And human willpower can go a long way. All right? Some of you are very disciplined people and you read the word and you're like, okay, I need to... Tighten up the way I speak. And I'm just going to make sure that I'm going I'm to bite my tongue like I've never bit my tongue before. Might have to bite that thing off, but I'm going to bite. <laughs> so I'm not going to say the things that I shouldn't say. And human willpower can go a long way. But what James tells us is true, but it really can't tame our tongues. And the reason it can't is because willpower alone won't change your heart. It won't. No matter how disciplined you are. We have to be changed at a fundamental level. The saltwater cursing that flows from our soul has to be transformed. And this is that other uh, story about Moses that I told you we were going to look at. And this was earlier, actually, than the account that we saw in Numbers. Um, And and here's what it says in Exodus 15. So the people have, have come out of Egypt and... And they they crossed over the Red Sea. That was also Moses too. Remember that parted the Red Sea and the people came across. And then the the Pharaoh and his army got swallowed up in the, the Red Sea. All right. Well, this is where we're at. Exodus 15. It says, Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea. And they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days into the wilderness and found no water. And when they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter Therefore, it was named Mara. That's literally the word for bitter. And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a log, and he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. There the Lord made for them a statute and a rule, and there he tested them, saying, If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God, and do that which is right in his eyes, And give ear to his commandments. And keep all his statutes. I will put none of the diseases on you. That I put on the Egyptians. For I am the Lord. Your healer. Now this is what I want you to get from this. Now I'm I'm kind of squeezing some things together here. Right? We're, We're looking at this image of our mouths being water. The fountain that flows out of our hearts. And here what they've come to is they've come to a spring of water that is bitter, that is not what it should be, is not useful for life and health. They would drink it and they would get sick and die. And what was necessary there, as Moses came to God, God said, I'm going to touch that water. I'm going to touch that spring and it's going to be made right. He did it in a weird way with a log, okay? But either way, it was the touch of God that transformed the water. And what, what God told them As he said to the people, he says, listen, if you'll follow after me, if you'll do what I'm telling you to do, I'm going to make you different than the other people of the world. I'm not going to allow the same sort of disease that comes out of the Egyptian, the person that doesn't follow me. That same sort of stuff is not going to come out of you because I, the Lord your God, am your healer. You want to know where your heart is going to be healed and changed and transformed? so that then your words follow out of what's really different coming out of you? It's from a touch of God. God, the Lord, your healer. The reason that all of us have said things that we wish we hadn't said is because we all share a fallen nature. Just as the, sw- the spring at morrow was made sweet, the spring that flows from us needs a touch from our healer. We can't change our hearts Or tame our tongues. But God can. So. As we start wrapping up here. The question for you. Especially of of those of you. Who may be convicted today. To realize okay. I really do need to change the way I talk. Do you want to see a change in your life? Is it time to leave. The fiery words. As he describes it. Those words behind. Look the way some of you speak to the people you love, let's be honest, it probably sounds more like the fires of hell than it does the healing of heaven. And God's calling you to change. And he's stirring a desire in you, a thirst for transformation. And you know what Jesus said to those who thirst in John seven thirty seven on the last day of the great feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, Let him come to me and drink. And look what he says. And whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. No longer the poisonous, bitter, vicious words, but instead new hearts that are generating new, living, life-giving water. Our words can be changed. And if we will come to Jesus with our brokenness, he'll transform us by his spirit. And when our hearts change, our words change, and we enter into the beautiful work of God in using words to bring life and build others around us. Our words can carry the power of hell, but they can also carry the power of heaven. You know, when God spoke in Genesis 1 and And I started going down, when I started this study, I started going down this whole path of thinking about the power of God's words. But I realized, okay, this message is going to turn into like a two-hour deal. We don't have time for this. But when God spoke in Genesis chapter 1, the universe came into being. The power of his words are the power of life, all life. The existence came into being because of God's words. And we're not God but we are made in his image. And our words, although not with the same amount of power, still have creative potential. And as his children, we are to use every word we have to bring him glory and honor and praise. And in doing that, we can learn to speak encouragement and life to people around us. It's not that James is just saying, hey, if you're just harsh with your words, just stop talking. That's not what he says. He doesn't say just close your mouth. He says, no, get your life changed, your heart changed. And with that, begin using your words with their creative potential and their building up potential. Begin to see the potential in each other and instead of only focusing on those flaws, uh, focus on that potential and speak life and encouragement to it. And when we are changed, what we find is that we begin minding our mouths. And we take a step closer to being the people that God calls us to be. God is honored and we reflect his love and light to the world around us. May it be so. Amen. Pray with me.